hairs on my body started standing on end. Silent. Nothing there. I fought to get back into my body. You are going to be a vital importance of helping us convince the masses. Type 471. Type 471. Bridge to the other world. Bridge to the other world. Welcome to Type 471. I'm Sam Kitchen. My guest today is Larry Pine. He is the proprietor of the Klamath River Resort Inn. His website is klamathriverresortin.com. Now, people from the area may not know how to spell Klamath, so Klamath is spelled K-L-A-M-A-T-H. klamathriverresortin.com is Larry's website. They are located in Happy Camp, California. Now, uh, Larry hosts people out there. He is a very gracious host. He's got a very beautiful property out there. He has people come and uh, come and fish and and stay and enjoy the the Happy Camp area. And uh, Larry is also a Sasquatch experiencer. He uh, has quite some experiences out there in Happy Camp. Happy Camp, California, is of course a known Sasquatch hotspot. So I'm very excited to speak with Larry today. Larry Pine. Yeah. Welcome to Type Four Seven One. How are you today, sir? I'm doing fine, sir. And how are you? Oh, I'm doing quite well, thank you. I'm very anxious to speak with you. You're a, you're a cool guy, and you've got some cool experiences, so I'm doing just fine. Right on. All right. So, Larry, I want to know a, a little bit about your personal background, and, and I really want to know about your background in the Happy Camp area, because it's a, it's a very special place, I feel, the Happy Camp area. Yes. My family and I, we moved out from Oklahoma in 62, and I grew up here going to school and left the middle of seventies and was gone for a little over thirty five years. And my new wife now of twenty seven years, we've been here for five years now. So uh tell me a little bit about the Klamath River Resort Inn. How long have you had this property and, and what do you do there exactly? Well the property has, has been purchased uh by our, our partner about seven years ago and my wife and I uh partnered up with him and we've been running it, managing it for five years now. We do all the lodging, uh, the booking, and uh, the groundskeeping. Just keeping it party. Got everything stripped along the river to where all you have is nothing but river. Yeah, so you have a great view of the Klamath River from the resort, it sounds like. Yes. Uh, people, when, when they show up, you know, they look like, okay, this is it. But once they walk through the breezeway and they see that river, their mouths drop. I can't believe the beauty. Oh, yeah. I definitely hear you there. The Klamath River and that, that area of the Klamath River right there through Happy Camp, that is a beautiful country indeed. It is. It is. It's, it's quite breathtaking. The only unfortunate thing is just over a year ago, we had what was called the Slater Fire. And it swept down towards town. Luckily, it didn't hit town, but it went up Indian Creek and over into Oregon and wiped out quite a bit of beauty. Yeah. Yeah, at the time of the of the Slater fire in Happy Camp, I was living in Klamath River, which uh for those who don't know is is just a little bit east of Happy Camp. It's uh, uh I don't know how many miles it is, but it's, you know, it's 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 right there in the same Klamath River corridor. So uh the the Slater fire was it was right there and uh it was it was quite an intense summer during the Slater fire and yeah. Yes, it was. A lot of era, a lot of country was destroyed. A lot of very prime Sasquatch territory was destroyed in the Slater fire. Yes, that, uh, uh, when it went up Indian Creek, we was on a mining claim uh, about six years ago before we took over here. And, I mean, it's just beautiful. And that's where we had the experience with uh, the wood knock, and I answered, and that evening after dark, the, the growl that came across the creek. So the knock brought them down 
But I think he was a bit discouraged <laughs> to find out it was us and not one of his comrades. Right, yeah. I, I remember you alluding to that. So, so why don't we start at the very beginning of your experiences, Larry, and get as detailed as we can and just go from there. Can we do that? What was, when did your Sasquatch experiences first begin? Back when I was in the first grade in Oak Ridge, Oregon, my mom and dad had a sighting. And I remember the following morning we went out and there was three big barefoot prints out across our strawberry patch. And that was uh, the first encounter, if you might say, that I was familiar with. But um, over the years, I kind of just brushed it aside. And about seven, eight years ago, my wife and I were living in Brookings, Oregon. And we wanted to take a ride and we'd go, go up and check Sanger Lake, which was off the Redwood Highway. And we wanted to see how low the snow level was because it was 15 mile up to the lake. So we get up there and we uh, were able to make six mile and we started hitting some pretty good drifts of snow. So I stopped and I go up, walk up around the corner and I see some impressions in that snow. and. I knew instantly what it was. There was no other tracks whatsoever. There's no trees around for the snow to fall from. So I walk up to them, and here's these gigantic barefoot prints. And I run back down and told my wife, you've got to come up around here and see this. And she was pretty much skeptical, you know, because nobody could really come up with concrete proof. Once she's seen those tracks, she become a believer. And I didn't have a measure tape with me or nothing. So I took a stick and I held one end as the heel and the toe and broke it off. And when we went back home, I measured it. And as God is my witness, it measured 28 inches. Ooh. And that really excited me then. Oh boy, 28 inches. 28 inches. I'm not kidding you one bit. And the following day, we went back up to investigate more. And we found where it came off the embankment and went about the length of a football field and then off into the trees. Well, you couldn't follow no more then because of the snow that was in the trees. And I uh, was a long-distance competitive runner. So I started running, and I stepped from one step, and it took five of mine to cover two of those. Oh, my. There was no way a human being could possibly do that. Ooh, so, okay, this was an entire trackway, and uh, so each one of these tracks was of a comparable size to this 28-inch track that you, that you discovered? Every one of them, I would hold that stick down, heel to toe, and they all measured the same. Oh my goodness, Larry, that is enormous. And and for every one Sasquatch step between one track and the next, it took five of yours? Yes, it did. It's what you would call jogging. I wasn't running real fast, but it was just a comfortable jog. But it took five of mine between those. So first of all, when, when did you say this happened exactly? It was uh, probably about eight years ago. It was off of uh, Redwood Highway from uh, Grants Pass out to Crescent City on the coast. Gotcha. Okay. Well, that is a true giant indeed. That is a very, that is a very large individual. Yeah, I, uh, I got very excited. I know some people, when you know, when you talk Bigfoot, first thing is they get a fear and they get scared. But when it comes to that, I get extremely excited. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I share your excitement there, Larry. I want to find out exactly where this happened, and I want to check out this spot. I know it's been eight years, but still, I want to... Oh, I, could, I could take you right where it's at. Excellent. Well, we're going to have to do that one of these days very soon. Yeah, it's going to be, uh, you know, as far as uh, the snow melting right now, I doubt we could get six mile up there. But come uh, April, May, would not be a problem at all. Right. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Uh, by soon, I meant like uh, as soon as the weather <laughs> permits. Like Right, uh, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. That sounds good. Like around April or so, I think would be the time to do that, like you said. Yeah, that's when we had done it before. Excellent. So uh, what comes what comes next, Larry? What, what did you experience next? After that, we'd gone back and we had our own tree business. 
over in Brookies. I climbed and my wife worked the rope. But uh, we were looking to retire from it. And we came over here and signed up with the, the 49ers Mining Club to become members. And that's when we had moved up on, uh, well, we was on a mining claim up Indian Creek, 10 and a half mile up. And that's when I walked out to our parking lot. And when I come walking back to our, our campsite, the wife goes, did you hear that? And I said, yes, I did. It was two very distinct knocks back up on the mountain south of us. And I had this wooden dial stick that I like to do my knocks with. And I walked out to a small pine tree, and I did the best two knocks I'd ever done. It echoed. Well, that evening, on a Friday evening, about an hour after dark, we're standing there by the fire. And across the creek, about 200 feet, was a deep, gurgly growl. And I had the biggest body rush come over me. And we had three dogs at that time. We still have two of them. But they curled to their feet, and they shook for two hours. Mm-hmm. They would not budge. I thought that something might come flying into the camp. You know, they might throw something, but that didn't happen. I think once it seemed that it was us, it left. But it wasn't a bear. I've been around, encountered a lot of bear, and it was nothing like a bear. No, it certainly doesn't sound like it, especially that very, very unique type of growl. I'd I'd like to concentrate on this growl as much as we can. I I know this was very deep. Yes. Was it it an unusually deep register? Was it an unusually deep kind of sound? Yes, it was. uh, Nothing I'd ever heard before. And you could tell that by the volume of it, and it didn't sound like it was putting out much of an effort. It just growled and it was gurgly and and you could tell whatever done it was huge. And I told my wife, I go, it's quite possible as the crow flies from where we were, it may have been that one we had the prints on. You mean the twenty eight track the twenty eight inch tracks you, you mentioned? Yes. Yeah, it could it could be the same individual, that's for sure. It's it's entirely possible. Sasquatches cover a lot of territory and uh, it, uh, an individual as large as a 28 track, a 28 inch track would imply they, they could cover quite a lot of ground quite quickly. Yes. And as the crow flies from where that was, you might be looking six, seven mile. Oh yeah. That's nothing. It, nothing. No, nothing at all. Now the next incident, uh, we've had a few wood knocks back into the, the Dillon Creek region, North Orca Dillon Creek, south of Happy Camp. And here about about two months ago, I was hiking in there. I wanted to check out this one hole. And I had my son and a friend of his. They wanted to go in with me. And it's about a six-mile hike in when you hit the creek, about a half mile up to what was called Bigfoot Hole. And you can Google the North Orca Dillon, and there's a picture on there of the Bigfoot Hole. But we got in there. I went ahead of them about a half mile. And I get up to that hole, and I'm waiting around. I thought, well, they should have been here by now. So I hiked back down half the distance, about a quarter mile. And here they come, and I could tell when they crossed that creek, something happened. But prior to that, as we hiked in, there was three different occasions. The first one, about a mile and a half in, up in the top of this oak tree, right below the trail, was about a 150-pound black bear. I didn't get much thought. It seen us and started to come down, so I like checking bears out. So I start walking over, and I, I was going to greet him once he'd come to the bottom. But he beat me to it, and off in the canyon he went. We go up about the same distance. And here's a, about a good 250-pounder in the top of an oak, the very top. Scurried down, down off in the canyon he went. Went about that same distance, and there was about a 100-pounder up in the top of the oak. Scurried down, gone. Well, by the second one, I knew something was happening because that is not natural to see something like that. Uh, Humans can't tree a bear, and there's no dogs out there that could have treated. So I'm just kind of keeping it to myself. 
as we venture on in to the creek, I go up and I come back down, and I see a look on their face like something took place. They go, did you hear the commotion? And I go, I didn't hear anything. Well, uh, evidently, when they started to come up to where I was, something right up above them on this knob and a brush lined the edge of it. My son said it was like somebody standing there and just throwing these rocks the size of a basketball, six to seven of them plummeting the creek. He took off running and dove under this big log that come off the embankment. And I seen one of the rocks hit right by that log, and it scared the peewaddens out of them. <laughs> yeah. they, uh, they didn't want any more to do with that region. <laughs> they were ready to hike out. I can't say I blame them. <laughs> they were scared. I was excited because I knew what it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, well, well, you see, people react one of two ways generally. They're either super excited about it or they're extremely terrified and want nothing to do with it. Exactly. And that that latter one you said is what I generally encounter. You know, people, anything to do with that, it really scares them and, boy, they're running for their life. <laughs> mm-hmm. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's an entirely understandable human instinct. It's the survival instinct. But then there are, uh, you know, people such as ourselves who feel the need to turn the other way and and run directly into the mystery of the thing and, and try to figure out what's going on. That That's where I'm coming from. You know, it's like I want to get a look or get close as I can to check it out. I feel you on that, brother. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I want to I wanna talk about this, this growl a little bit more because it's something that I am kind of concentrating on these days. There's a lot of talk in the, in the world of Bigfoot about the use of infrasound, of course. It's, um, it, it is very well known that the Sasquatch use infrasound against people and probably against animals as well. And it's known that tigers use infrasound, of course. Uh, a lot of animals do, but tigers use infrasound by actually lowering their mouths to the ground and uh, emitting a very low tone that they are actually able to direct accurately at an animal, maybe a mile to two miles away, perhaps, or at least a, a, a long way away. So they direct the vibrations of the infrasound through the ground to an animal at a long distance away, causing it to become disoriented, uh, to make it easier prey. So yeah, uh, the, the the Sasquatch, I feel, do something very similar to this. I think they use infrasound in a lot of ways. The, the gurgling that you mentioned, I feel that's an important key, that's an important clue to the whole thing. Infrasound is produced by kind of the collision of very low subharmonic sounds. When these sounds collide at a low frequency, they can produce infrasound. And, and that gurgling, I think, is, a, is an important clue as to how that's done. So I'm glad you mentioned that. That gurgling sound may, in fact, produce a an infrasonic undertone, I think. Well, I, I can understand that, you know, like you were saying from the distance, but this here, a couple of hundred feet across that creek, and then it was real steep going up the hill. And there was no mistaking it came from just across that creek. And to me, as far as the gurgling, it sounded like something really congested. You know, a bunch of gurgling in his throat but to hear that there's no mistake and whatever had done that had to be really big yeah huge lung capacity to to create that kind of a rich vibration exactly and based on the fact that i heard the two knocks and i knocked back and then that evening an hour after dark and to have that happen i knew exactly what it was oh yeah yeah, there's pretty much no mistaking it at that point. Yeah, I uh, I don't know why I had done it, but just shortly after, because my dogs would not move, so I go out to the parking lot. I mean, it's pitch black, and I got no uh, flashlight with me. I just walk out there, and I'm begging my dogs to come along, and it's an uh, eighth of a mile on the drive up to the highway. So I'm working my way out and literally begging them to come with me. So I get about half that distance out, and I thought, okay, they're going to stay with me. So I walk on out and get up on the highway, 
And I'm looking around, and my dogs are nowhere. And it's like, oh, great. <laughs> mm. So I'm saying, Lord, please don't let me see a big shadow in front of me when I start walking back down there. I get back to the camp, and there they are at my wife's feet, curled up, shaking again. Yeah. What, what kind of dogs are they? They're German Shepherd, German Rottweiler. Yeah, not the kind of dogs that scare easy. No, they uh any other game that we've encountered... They talk, take off uh, running towards it. They never bark at the game. You know, the only time they'll bark is if they see another dog or they see a human. But when it comes to game out there in the woods, they never bark at it. I'm glad you mentioned game because uh, that that is a big part of what I wanted to bring up next. You see, uh, just after Thanksgiving, uh, just at the end of November, I uh, I received a Sasquatch report from Happy Camp. So the and and ah. yeah, and and you have had recent experiences as well. So the Sasquatch right. are active in the Happy Camp area in the late fall, early winter time. So I want to know what uh, you obviously are the man to ask about what the wildlife is doing in the Happy Camp area. So so what are the game movements in the Happy Camp area at this time of year? Uh, right now, uh, generally, it's based on the snow. You know, once the snow starts flying up into the hills, it pushes them down. And I believe that that uh, has a lot to do with as far as the tracks that we've seen, because it snowed pretty heavy up high, and it pushed them down out of the high country. I truly believe that come spring or when they can navigate, they go back up into the far back end in the high country because nobody really dare go there because it's very, very rugged. Yeah. And that's why my wife and I choose to do that because you never see another human when we go back there. A couple of summers ago, we spent the summer back in there, and that was quite an experience. And there's two different times that we'd gotten wood knocks while we were back there because every evening... And up until about 11 at night, I would, every couple of hours, I'd do a couple of knocks. And we'd just sit and wait. And, you know, eventually, one of them's going to hear it, and you do get a response back. But as far as the, the sighting, I've yet to see one actually walk and see it with my own eyes. But the day is coming. I really feel it. Oh, the day is coming for sure, Larry. You're a tenacious man. You're a passionate man. You you, you have you have your mission. So you're you're gonna absolutely lay eyes on a Sasquatch. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. I really feel that this coming summer is when it's going to happen because my wife and I would like to go prospecting, and we're putting that on hold, and we're going to go deep back into the the wilderness strictly to locate Squatch. I like everything I'm hearing, Larry. You know, a lot of people oh, yeah. are a lot of people are getting really passionate right now because I, something something's supposed to happen. Something is coming, and people can feel that. And passionate people oh, such yeah. as yourself, yeah, yeah, they're out there, they're out there making it happen, Larry. I find it very exciting. I, I think I think this this summer, I think you're going to have that experience that you see coming. I really do. Well, they better watch out because I will be coming. <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing that motivates the wife and I is the fact that they're not known to hurt anybody. You know, all they want to do is scare you out of their area. They don't want you there. And all they got to do is throw something at somebody and they're gone. You know, just that simple. I told my wife that, they throw something at me, I'm going to try to throw it back. But those rocks that were thrown into the crib, there's no way I could throw those. <laughs> yeah, they got some weight to them. Well, you know what I would recommend instead of trying to throw something back, if you if you uh, have something thrown at you, what I would do is attempt to communicate at that point. I would say something very positive in a very positive tone. I would say, oh, you know, thank you for communicating with me. I'm glad to know that you're here with me. My name is Larry. You know, that's, that's what I would do if I were in your position, Larry. I, I would love something like that. And I told my wife that if we did get our sights on one and it's looking at me, I would love to try and do some kind of hand sign language, you know, to try to do some kind of communicating. I don't know if they'd permit it, but it ain't going to hurt to try, I'll tell you. Right. 
it, it depends on your energy, your intention, uh, how comfortable you are, how comfortable they are with you. Uh, it, right. de- it might depend on if you have something in your hands or not. So if you want to encounter right. a, a Sasquatch, uh, I, I would recommend having empty hands at, at such a time. And um, if one were to encounter a Sasquatch in this situation, depending on proximity, it may be a good idea to sit down, perhaps cross-legged on the ground, uh, at a slight angle away from the Sasquatch. Not too far away, but just at a slight angle away so as not to appear challenging. Right. And then at that point might be the, the opportune moment during which to attempt uh, to do a hand signal, like a wave or something like that. Exactly. Exactly. I, I would really love to attempt something like that. That's like my wife and I, when we go off into those woods, we've had uh, family, we've had friends say, well, you pack a gun, don't you? And I go, no, I don't. I go, there's nothing to fear but fear itself. I go, we go back in, we've had bear come around our camp, they've never bothered us, we never pack a gun. So naturally, the folks think we're nuts, but I I just don't see any reason because I'm not going back there to shoot them. And I truly believe that if they see, and they see you're packing a gun, you pose a threat, and that's not going to be good. That is absolutely correct. Yeah, I mean, you don't you don't want to appear as a threat. Certainly, uh, there are varying schools of thought as to whether or not it's a good idea to carry a gun. There are people who believe it's a it's a level headed decision to bring a firearm because, after all, you are dealing with quite a large being, and there are other dangerous predators in the woods as well. So, right. yeah, as just a practical matter, there are those who do choose to bring a firearm. And then there are those who, who see it much the same way that you do, that bring a, a firearm can be counterproductive. And I certainly see both sides of this argument. What I would say is that it really has largely to do with the energy that a person brings to the experience. It has to do with the intention that a person has when entering this kind of experience. So, uh, right. yeah. So uh, whether one has a firearm or not, I feel, is secondary to the intention one has when coming into this situation. So, in other words, a person, I feel, can have a firearm and still appear to be peaceful, or a person right. can a, a person could be unarmed and still appear to be a threat. So, I, f- I think it has a lot to do with the person and just what their intentions are. Right. I think that, uh, I agree with you, I, I believe that once they see you, that they can sense whether you're a danger or not. Mm-hmm. I, I truly do because I thought we had encountered and they, they posed no threat whatsoever towards us. And I think that they had felt the same way that we were not a threat at all. Yeah, that is. Yeah, they they absolutely can sense a lot about a person. There are those who feel very strongly that they can uh, they, they can absolutely see everything about a person's intention, that it's a matter of consciousness beholding consciousness, and, and in such an instance, you know, one can know another's true intentions. Well, that's just like with a human, you know. Sometimes you can look at an individual, and they don't even have to speak, but you can you can sense it, whether they're peaceful or whether they might become hostile. And a lot of that can be facial expression. You know, that can uh, that can tell quite a bit. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'd like to go back for a moment to uh, the movement of game animals specifically in the Happy Camp area at this time of year, Larry. So what are elk doing in the Happy Camp area at this time of year? The elk right now, after breeding in the fall, um, if the snow permits, they work their way back up into the back country as much as possible, staying away from humans. Uh, the snow will push them down, of course. The uh, the bulls, they'll, they'll stay back out of sight for the most part. Come spring, the cows have their little ones, and they slowly start working their way out. It's based on the weather, a lot of it. Yeah. Because I know that uh, once that snow flies around here, it can be pretty difficult trying to get around. And if you don't got the snow down here in the lower elevation where there's Plenty of grazing for them then. And there's, uh, I remember back in 73, I believe, they planted elk back up Elk Creek, and there's small herds all over the region now. 
which is good. And we've had, well, the last couple of weeks, we've had a, a flock of at least 30 turkeys that have come into our field right here by the resort. So that's pretty awesome to see. That is. That's very cool. I love those flocks of wild turkeys just running around everywhere. It just makes me feel good to see them. Yeah, there's, there's getting to be quite a few around this area. There really is. And uh, big coveys of quail, fat, plump little quail. And we feed them right outside the cabin. I throw grain out here, and, and we watch them feast on that. It's pretty cool. And this is how Sasquatch has a merry holiday season, just feasting on all the on all these uh, turkeys and quail. And the... <laughs> <laughs> I never thought about that. I'm fattening them up, and they're getting it. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So, Larry, I, wa- I want to ask you a- an important question that I like to ask uh, experiencers. So... Outside of the Bigfoot phenomenon, have you ever experienced uh, anything unusual of a paranormal or just extraordinary nature outside of the Bigfoot phenomenon? Yes, we have. It's funny you'd say that. Uh, My wife and I, we've camped back out what's called Bear Lake, south of town, and it's about 14 miles west of 96. We've hiked into that lake, and We've uh, kicked back for the night, looking up into the stars, and we've seen some mighty strange lights. We've seen one that was, it was a pretty bright light, and it was just above the trees, and it was going easterly, and it had no sound whatsoever. And it just floating across the sky above the tree line. And I have no idea what that was. And one time... My wife looks up, and she's seen what looked like a huge drone that the military uses on the back side of the the mountain on the west side of the lake. So I ran back up the trail, see if I couldn't get another glimpse of it, but I I couldn't see anything. Um, My wife and I and two brothers went down off into that Dillon region one time, which was about three years ago. and. We come hiking up out on the ridge line, and we hear this big roar. And we look down through the canyon, and here come this fighter jet up that canyon and up over the ridge and gone. The most amazing thing I'd ever seen. Wow. So we have a place down here, a high point called Pony Peak. You can go on top of that and look all back into the, the Dillon Divide, the North Fork of Dillon. Harrington Mountain region. And I went up there by myself and I bailed off of that and went down off into the creek and then hiked back up out. And I'm standing up there looking to the east. I hear this roar and I go, wow, another fighter jet. Well, coming around the treetops was this uh, military cargo plane. And that thing was going so slow, I thought it was going to get dropped out of the sky, but it was headed towards the Happy Camp area, which they fly out of Klamath Falls quite a bit. But they do a lot of uh, navigating and uh, doing runs down in these canyons because it's considered uh, some of the most rugged country around here, other than down in the Trinities. Sure. Yeah, so they come down there to kind of do some exercises and drills and stuff, it sounds like. They do, and my wife and I, uh, summer before last, when we spent that summer down, we're laying there with the the fly off the top of the tent, we look up at the stars, some open spots through the trees, and we see this bright flash from space, and we go, what in the world? And then off a little bit, and we see it again, and that happened four times. This last summer we was in there, and we've seen that happen a couple more times. It flashed twice. And the only thing I could come up with is they were taking, uh, they were doing mapping of this region from way up there. Otherwise, I have no idea what that could have been. So this flash, was it a spot in the sky, or was it the whole sky that flashed? No, it was a spot in space. I mean, it it was like a star, and all of a sudden it's a bright flash, and it's gone. And then after a bit, and then you see it again. 
And we've seen that about four times, and then we never seen it until the following year. But that's the only thing I could figure is they were doing some mapping from space. That's entirely possible, though also uh, UFOs themselves are known to flash like that. Do you think it could have just been a UFO? Uh, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> you know, I, I, I couldn't say for sure, but I know it was something that wasn't normal. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. It definitely got our attention. Sure, absolutely. And I'm not trying to I'm not trying to plant ideas in your head. I'm just saying, you know, oh, no. it could be this, it could be that. I mean, I mean, you could absolutely be right. It could be some kind of mapping from space. I'd love to know what, what exactly goes on. I'd love to know, all, know all the intricate stuff that just happens that we're not at all aware of. I want I want answers to these questions. But uh right, there was a, there was another indication or incident there out of the Bear Lake area. And we're looking up at the stars, and all the stars are in their formation, but there's this one star slowly rising across the sky. And it looked just like a star, but yet it was slowly moving to the west. And I go, that is strange, because stars don't do that. If a star moves, it falls from its formation, you know. So it, yeah, that was that was rather bizarre too. Was uh, was it was it particularly dim? This star, this moving object that uh, that looked it, like a star. It was just like it was just like a regular star. Yeah, it. That's what got our attention. You know, it's like that star is moving. Yeah, it, it was really odd, and you could tell it was in space. You know, it was way out there. Right. Do you think it could have been a satellite? No. The satellites, we've seen a lot of satellites, and they they moved faster than what this was moving. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like this was also brighter than a satellite. Uh, Probably about the same, because the the satellites, if if it stood still, you'd throw it down, it was a star. Mm -hmm. You know, but they they zip across, they're pretty good. And the last time we was in... We had actually, I could not believe this. We were looking up, and I go, ah, there's a satellite. And back behind it, probably about 10, 15 seconds, there's another one. And there was 15 to 20 of them in a row, about 10, 15 seconds apart, that was traveling across the sky. I could not believe the amount of them. It it was amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, they've got all kinds of them up there doing all kinds of stuff at all times. I, it's just th- these tight clusters of them. I wonder what that's all about. I don't know, but they were in single file. Like I said, about every 10, 15 seconds, and here come another one. And here come another one. Hmm. Yeah, it was, it was rather odd. <laughs> Interesting. It's not something you see all the time. Right. No, certainly not. I want to go back to the light that you saw above the treetops. I want to ask a few questions about that. First of all, was this a defined shape? Did it have a particular structure to it, or was it more amorphous? It was a round, bright glow. It was almost like a halogen light, you know, rather bright, but it it had a bit of size to it, like the back end of they a jet when it takes off, but we laid there and it wasn't that far up from us, but there was not any sound whatsoever coming from it. Yeah, that's amazing. That got our attention more so than the other objects that were moving around. I would imagine so. Yeah, it, uh, something like that, you know, you, you figure, okay, you're going to hear if it's, it, well, it wasn't a plane because the light was too big for being on an airplane. It was like the back end of something going across the sky, but it was just above the, the tree line up on top of the mountain. Yeah, and uh, people people report that all the time. Like, it was so close to the ground, but there was no sound. I couldn't hear a thing. It was so bizarre. Oh, yeah. 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 Well. I don't know if there's a connection with things like that and with squats. You know, nobody's really going to know unless they can actually witness something taking place between the two things. Well, as a matter of fact, Larry, I'm working on that very question right now, and I'm, I'm approaching that, ang- that question from a number of angles. 
because the fact is these things are observed in association with Sasquatch sightings, and yet there are, it seems that there are more than one thing happening. For example, when one sees a ball of light in association with a Sasquatch, in some instances, it seems to be a spiritual type of experience. In another situation, when one sees a ball of light associated with a Sasquatch, it is often of a extraterrestrial and technological nature. So there are more than one phenomena that appear to be happening, and yet they often coincide with Sasquatch. Right. That, I've heard that too. Yeah. And uh, I am talking to some very interesting people at the moment who have their individual perspectives on these things, and, well, it's, it's very interesting. We're, we, have, we have some insights that are coming up in the near future. It doesn't mean we have answers necessarily, but we have some right. insights into these things. So it's uh, very interesting stuff. There's a lot of unanswered things out there. It really is. Oh yeah. Well, that's why that's why we're doing this, Larry. That's why uh, we're we're just trying to push push past the boundary of human awareness and reach out into the darkness a little bit more, just to expand human right. awareness, just a uh, as much as we possibly can. Trying to get some answers. <laughs> Absolutely. I think it's high time, don't you, Larry? I sure do. I sure do. <laughs> well, and and to that end. I am going to be coming out there within the next few days, and you and I are going to do some investigating, aren't we? I'd love that. I really would. Mm-hmm. As well. And uh, if you're up to hiking, we could go down and hike in on Dillon Trail because the snow, a lot of it has melted off down low to where we'd be able to go back in there, and you'd be able to see as far as uh, what my wife and I have been putting ourselves through. And it wasn't so much looking for Bigfoot. It was to, we were prospecting. We enjoyed doing that. And to be able to go back, I, I love doing the wood knocks. Sometimes you might go a week or two or even longer, but you've got to be able to have one in the vicinity to hear those knocks and then be able to respond back. And when that happens, that is very exciting. It is indeed, yeah. By the way, I find that a nice a nice madrone tree trunk is the best type type of tree to do a wood knock on. That's funny you'd say that because when we were in there, I had this madrone chunk, a good dry piece, and then a dead madrone stump. And I'd whack that thing, and that echo would go up in that canyon up the north fork of Dillon. Yeah, that that madrone that makes a nice sound. Oh, it does. It really does. <laughs> Well, you're getting me pumped up to come out there, Larry. <laughs> me too. I'm, I'm about to take off down the river and head up Bear Lake Road just hit the prints in the snow up there. Yeah, definitely. Well, let's make this happen in the in the coming days, just in a few days or so. And um, I want to make our listeners aware, Larry, of an important event that is coming up this coming Saturday, the 15th of January. There is going right. to, yeah, for, for those of, of you in the Pacific Northwest, there's a very important Bigfoot symposium happening this January 15th, Saturday at 1 p.m. in Etna, California, at the Pay Streak Brewery in Etna, California. Now, Etna is kind of the gateway town to the Marble Mountain Wilderness. And the Marble Mountain yes, Wilderness, it is. yeah, for those who are deep into Sasquatch, everybody knows who's into Sasquatch, the Marble Mountain Wilderness is a huge important area for sasquatch experiences and research so the uh so the town of etna is right there at the opening of the marble mountain wilderness area and there is a very important bigfoot symposium happening in etna this coming saturday i'm going to go check it out are you going to be able to make it larry i'm going to make every effort i can and i've got a gentleman down here that i was talking to today about it and he seemed pretty excited so i might be able to bring him along Excellent. Yeah, that sounds great. The more the merrier. That's at the Pay Streak Brewery in Etna, California. That's the Bigfoot Symposium this coming January 15th at 1 p.m. People are going to be presenting Bigfoot evidence in the in the form of plaster casts and uh, other types of evidence, from what I understand. People are going to share their right. experiences. There's going to be an open mic, and there's going to be a social situation afterwards. So, Everybody who loves Bigfoot, come together at the Pay Streak Brewery in Etna, California on Saturday for the Bigfoot Symposium. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, I'd love to pick some people's brain. I really would find out if they had the sightings and where it was because I'll target those areas. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> that is that is absolutely useful to to put those points on a map to see exactly where their movements are. There's uh, the gentleman I just mentioned about it. Probably be bringing with me. He was talking to me yesterday, and last year, just down below town, because uh, he's running the uh, the Forty Nine er Mining Club right now, and he he had these people they were rafting. And they come back through town and stop by there, and they had quite an experience. They're floating along, and they look up, which is on the east side of the river, coming out of the marbles, and seeing this tall figure covered in hair walking along the little ridge line. And he said that when they come in and told him about that, that there was no mistake, and they seen a Bigfoot because the excitement was all over them. So I took a drive yesterday evening down looking at the area and it's all about being in the right place at the right time. There, there is, there is absolutely that being in the right place at the right time factor. And then there are also things that we can do to increase our odds. We can actually kind of tip the odds in our favor a little bit and, and kind of, yeah, we we can, we can increase our chances. So that's what we're going to do. And I, Man, that's that's where the that's where the wood knocking will come in. Because I'll tell you, if if you can get where you can cast out the knocks pretty good, you keep it up. And if they're anywhere around, they're going to come and investigate. So you bet you better be ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! <laughs> yeah, they'll come looking for any number of things. They'll come looking for wood knocks, or if people just want to just go out and be themselves and 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 just right. yeah, just be cheery and have fun. Then you know what? The Sasquatches will come and check you out all the same. Yeah, don't act any different. Just be yourself. Go out and have fun, and before you know it, something might happen. That's right. That's right. And you know, the most important thing is really to just go out there and have fun. I mean, just for its own sake. Right. Right. I mean, nature is, is connecting with nature is something that modern civilization desperately needs. So just go out into the woods, have fun. And you know what? It might just result in a, in a Sasquatch encounter. Chances are real good. They (laughs) really are. Yeah. Especially if you're cool and, you know, non-threatening and peaceful and stuff. Right. Right. You, but you got to go out there not expecting it to happen. You know, just just be yourself. And before you know it, you're going to get a wake up, I'll tell you. <laughs> That's right. It could come in the form of a of a smacking sound against a tree. It could come in the form of a <laughs> huge that. of a huge rock. It could take all kinds of forms, but you'll they'll, they'll let you know they're there. That's for sure. That's a fact. <laughs> <laughs> well, it all right. sure is. Well, all right, Larry, we're at the end of the show. I want to tell people uh, how to get a hold of you one more time. I understand that Huell Hauser came out to your property in the past. Is that so? Yes. Uh, I was asking my wife, and she recalls the name. She's more up on that because she does a lot of the booking, and I, I keep the grounds and help her clean rooms and all, but she knows more of the people than what I do. Sure, sure. Well, I mean, it it looks to me like he enjoyed his stay, and you guys have a great spot out there, so I cannot wait to come and check it out. The uh, The resort is called the Klamath River Resort Inn. That is in Happy Camp, California. So if you want to go check out beautiful Happy Camp, that's the place to do it from. And the website is klamathriverresortinn.com. So, Larry Pine, thank you so much for joining me today on Type 471. It has been quite an enlightening conversation. You're more than welcome, Sam. I really look forward to meeting you. I do as well, and I will be seeing you in the coming days, Larry. And I want to make mention, too, that when you do, we can take a drive up Indian Creek, and I'll take you right to the spot where that growl happened. I would love that. I would love to check that out. I want to check out that spot where the where where the growl happened. I want to check out all these spots. And you know what? If there really is a true giant in that area with 28-inch feet, then he is following those... Oh. He's following those elk herds, so I want to check out what, what he's doing this time of year. Well, you know, I, I forgot to mention, too, uh, I was talking to you the other day about up on the Sixers River off of the coast. And when I was back in there, I came across that big uh, deer carcass area. I mean, it was strewn all over the ground. And I don't know why I did it, but uh, I don't think it was a bear. I don't think it was cougar because there was too much of it. Yeah, uh, that that's a known Sasquatch habit as well. Did you uh, happen to note what kind of condition the bones were in? 
I didn't see any bones. Hmm. There, there was so much hide strewn all over the bed of the creek and up on this little plateau. And then, there, like I was telling you, there was a bear foraging in it, and I had a standoff with the bear, and I won. He took off up the hill pretty mad. But <laughs> mm-hmm. Did you happen to note if these deer carcasses were contorted or twisted in any sort of strange way? It was just like it was, everything was just all pulled apart and just strewn all over the ground. Well, just the, the sheer volume of the deer carcasses in that one spot tells me that it, it, it sounds a lot like Sasquatch activity. Yeah, because it was deep down in a canyon. You know, it's not like you had hunters and they bagged a couple and skinned them out down there. It was nothing like that. Well, you know, that's that's actually a, a, a kind of habit, a kind of behavior that I have heard of from that same area a number of times. So it doesn't surprise right. me at all. Yeah, there's... There, there's some Sasquatch in that area who are collecting deer, a whole bunch of deer carcasses in one spot. Oh boy, there's <laughs> a mess of it. <laughs> That's right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have to check it all out uh, to to the fullest extent that we can. I know we can't go up to the Sixes Rivers area this 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 time, but uh, we're gonna yeah, check not it. right away. <laughs> right, right. But we're gonna check out as much as we can in the coming days. So I'm looking forward to that for sure. Right on. Yeah, you uh, you come on up here, and like I said, we'll put you up, and I'll take you out to a couple of the sites. Well, that is very kind. You are a gracious host indeed, Larry, and uh, I will be coming out there in the coming days. I'm going to see you very soon. I look forward to it. All righty, sir. All right. Larry Pine, thank you so much for joining me today on Type 471. You're more than welcome. All right. I'll be speaking with you soon. You have a good day. You too, sir. Once again, if you like to fish, if you like to hunt, if you just like beautiful outdoor activity, then check out Klamath River Resort Inn in Happy Camp. The website, one more time, is klamathriverresortinn.com. I hope to see you all this Saturday at the Bigfoot Symposium in Etna, California. If you would like to be privy to the reckoning in consciousness that is Type 471, go immediately to your preferred podcast platform and follow the show. Rate Type 471. Give it as many or as few stars as you believe it deserves. Say your piece in the comments. And share Type 471 with other people. Like-minded people. People like you who can hear in my voice that I am deadly serious about delivering wondrous truths to you. So if you believe in what I'm attempting to do, make sure everybody knows just how you feel about Type 471. Finally, to share your own wondrous experiences with me, email me at type471podcast at gmail.com. I'm Sam Kitchen. Thanks for listening to Type 471, Northern California and Southern Oregon's preferred provider of homegrown unknown. You be well, dear listener. I will speak to you next week.